The way we communicate has shifted over the last few years. We communicate more quickly, there's more transparency, and all of these changes can really feel unsettling. So today I'm talking with Veronica Sofer about how we can recalibrate our schools to these new realities about how we engage with each other in ways that are healthy and productive for everybody in our communities. And this all has to do with mindset. And in this connection to ourselves, we can maintain these new sustainable paradigms. And get ready for all the new programming coming out of Empowered Educator. Head on over to empowerededucator.com slash workshops to get the professional development that you have been waiting for. I know you want to be an educator and live with more peace and ease and calm, but you've never believed it was possible for you. Well, Empowered Educator Workshops will show you the way. And it goes beyond the typical social-emotional content because here you will get the concrete strategies you need to live the life you want, both at home and at work. So grab your seat in the next Empowered Educator Workshop by simply going to empowerededucator.com slash workshops. Remember all the passion and vision you had when you first went into teaching? Feeling like building young minds and creating community through your work would make a lasting impact on this world? Well, those days may feel like they're behind you now because you're exhausted, stressed, and overwhelmed and frustrated, but I'm here to tell you it doesn't have to be like this. In fact, the love of teaching never really went away, but it absolutely needs transformation. Welcome to the Take Notes Podcast. I'm Jen Rafferty, former music teacher, mom of two, and certified emotional intelligence practitioner, and I'm here to light the way for you. In order to create a generational change for our kids, we need to shift the paradigm away from the perpetual stress and overwhelm and into a life of joy and fulfillment. This is Education 2.0, where you become the priority, shift how you live your life, and how you show up both at work and at home. So take a sip of steamy morning coffee and grab your notebook. It's time to take notes. Hello, and welcome back to another incredible episode of Take Notes. I am here with the wonderful Veronica Sofer, who is a dynamic school communications leader with more than 20 years of experience in K-12 leadership. She has served as the chief communications officer for several large and mid-sized school districts, and she provides leadership, vision, direction, and execution of major district communication programs, strategies, events, and activities. And she now consults full-time in the K-12 communication space. And throughout her career, she has earned numerous professional awards and has led national award-winning teams. Veronica serves as a mentor to several school communications professionals and has held leadership positions for the Texas Schools Public Relations Association, including serving as president in 2021. Veronica, thank you so much for being here with me today on Take Notes. Thank you for having me. Very excited. I am excited to have this conversation with you, and I want to just dive right in. One of the things that we connected about initially was our passion for providing appropriate mindset professional development to all of the adults in schools, not just the teachers and not just for the leaders, although obviously that is important too, but it is a more holistic approach to what we typically see in some of these programs. So can you talk a little bit about how and why that's important to you and what that looks like. Yeah. So part of my journey in school public relations is watching how communication has evolved, how the expectations of our parents have evolved, how our expectations of teachers and staff have evolved and our elected officials. So I feel like public education 
in particular is really under attack on a national level. And I mean, when I say under attack, I mean literally under attack on a national level. So the way we communicate and how we have to emotionally be prepared for all of that really has changed and it's morphed and we have to communicate more rapidly. We have to be more transparent. Our teachers have a different level of expectation with a different type of parent now. And so I think now more than ever, self-care and the ability to reflect on what it is we're doing, reconnecting to our why, reestablishing the types of, of norms that we want to engage our families with is really important. And so I think we're in a very crucial time of full culture building. And we're having to reevaluate what that looks like at every level. And so this conversation is really exciting and passionate. And I'm passionate about it because I think it's got opportunity for growth. And I've had conversations with people all over the country in recent years, especially since COVID. And we're just having to recalibrate how we engage. And it's just, it's a different mindset and not everyone is up for it. So we're having to do a lot of extra training and guiding. And as lifelong learners, we have to just be ready to take on what's next. Sure. And that recalibration is a word that I don't think we give enough credit to. That is a really important word. So I just want to just be there for a minute of recalibration because I think we are very reactive and we kind of go through the motions as to, okay, what's on fire? What needs to be put out? What do I do next? What's the next step? What's the next move? And we don't actually take the time to sit with that and really recalibrate to where we are so we can be where our feet are. So what does that recalibration process mean for you? So as a communications professional and as someone who supports school districts across the country, it's literally putting a mirror in front of them and saying, hey, let's take a second. Where are your parents? Where's your board? Where are your teachers emotionally? Where are they in managing their stress? And once I can get a school district to really reflect on that, then they can decide where that recalibration needs to happen. Maybe it's in the supports they give teachers with employee wellness programs. Maybe it's loosening classroom walks and reducing how we put work on teachers to manage the day-to-day. Sometimes it goes up and we have to support our principals and our administrators and give them the tools that they need because the world has changed and we are in a catch-up period with our kids. Some studies have said it's going to take us up to seven years to catch up from the couple of years we lost during COVID, especially in that social emotional component. And that's showing up in our classrooms and our school buildings every day. So to answer your question more specifically, what that looks like for me is it really requires me as a support for school systems and superintendents to put that mirror in front of them and ask them to really be honest and evaluate where they are as a system, acknowledge where there's gaps, and then put systems into place to address those gaps because we're already too late. You know, there's that John Legend song. He performed it. I know his mom was a teacher. He performed it in front of a group of educators. It's already too late. So we got to jump on this now and we've got to be able to provide supports for our kids. Yes. And I think that when we look at what it means to take care of this ecosystem that is in a school district, the tendency is to get very myopic about it. But what you're saying, and and this is extremely true, is that in order to do that effectively, we really need to step back and take a larger perspective of what's going on. So the, the mirror needs to be very large. It can't just be one thing because it's not one thing. We live in context with lots of other things. And sometimes that mirror is very confronting and uncomfortable to look at, 
right? For sure. And I mean, as evidenced by the number of superintendents who have retired and resigned nationwide, we have more first-time superintendents in this country than we have ever had. And now on a side note, we've also had more female superintendents than we've ever had, which is a wonderful thing. But it really speaks to how difficult it's been. And some people just chose not to do what needed to come next. And that's okay. I mean, they've earned that and we have to applaud them for getting us this far. But now it's time to pick up the baton and keep going. And I think hearing you say that there's almost this rebirth that's happening out of the chaos and crisis that was COVID. Things seemingly fell apart, but that also lays the groundwork for some really beautiful opportunities where it seems like new people and fresh blood is picking up where we left off to hopefully move into new directions. Absolutely. It's like when we're studying history and we look at the rebirth of Japan after World War II, and it literally took them having to be devastated to rebuild, reinvent themselves as an economy, as a culture, as a country. And we teach our kids to look at all the different aspects of that. But we need to put that model and overlay it onto what it is we're doing right now in the K-12 space and say, okay, COVID did this to us and now we get to rebuild. What does it look like? What does rebuilding look look like? How are we supporting our staff? How are we adhering to compliance and accountability? And how are we making sure that our students have all the resources they need to be successful? And how do we not burn out our teachers? Because they're on a journey too. And some of them were in deep crisis. Anyone who was in the front line really was in deep crisis during that time. And so we're trying to support all of those things at the same time we're trying to celebrate the new birth that we're experiencing. And so I think for some people, it's more challenging than in others. But as a whole, I think everyone's really excited about what's next. Sure. Well, the birthing process is painful. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> and let's, let's just be clear about that, right? I mean, it's all sound beautiful, but it does not come without growing pains and significant strain both physically and emotionally and mentally. And that is part of the process. And I think it's really easy to feel that you had mentioned earlier that, that we're under attack. It's, it's easy to feel that we need to put up this armor and have this fight. And from where I'm standing is that when we put up all this armor, we're actually perpetuating the fight. That it's when we're taking it off and really using our voice and standing in our power and asking for what we need and being vulnerable with each other, creating safe spaces for people to be vulnerable with each other. That's when the change actually starts to happen. So can you speak a little bit about what that shift could look like? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I recently delivered a keynote speech where we talked about the heroine's journey and how different it was from the hero's journey. From a literary perspective, most of us have read John Camp or Joseph Campbell's work on the hero's journey. And his textbook, you know, Luke Skywalker, you immediately go to Disney, Lion King, all those kinds of things. But what I love about the heroine's journey is that there's a spot for nurturing. There's a spot for really understanding the depths of the sorrow that comes in, with that journey and then embracing the vulnerability that comes with us that we have that comes naturally that we celebrate it because oftentimes, especially in these power roles as principals or as leaders, we shut down that vulnerability because we see it as a weakness. And we're trying to exist in this male-dominated context of leadership. So we don't allow some of that to happen. 
And what I love about the heroine's journey, it's Maureen Murdoch. If you've, if you've never read the book, Maureen Murdoch, where we really reunite and reconnect to that mother-daughter relationship is when we can allow that vulnerability to shine and still make it part of our success. And it means embracing the male energy that we have and the female energy and then finding that quote unquote balance. Because so oftentimes we've put our armor on to lead a school, to lead a feeder pattern, to lead a district. And we've not allowed some of our feminine energy to really drive our decision making. And in COVID, I think it, it hurt some of our organizations. And so when we get down through those depths, those deep, deep parts, and we find all that reflection and we start to come out and we reunite with all of that. The beauty of the heroine's journey is love and joy and success and vulnerability and all of those things that we are working towards in a school system come together when we can embrace both parts of that. So you can still be a strong administrator, you can still be a strong teacher, and you can still be vulnerable and still shed a tear and still pause and reflect and be grateful and appreciative for what we have and still let that armor support what you're doing. And I think oftentimes we think it's either or, that they can't coexist, but they can. And when you find that, when you as a leader get to that point in your life where you can find that, you embrace it. And it looks different for everybody, right? Every, everyone's journey is a little bit different. For me, it was really embracing fuchsia and wearing pink, which I do. I mean, I'm on brand all the time. But for the longest time, I felt like black and gray was what I needed to be wearing because I was surrounded by men who wore black and gray. And it seems simple now, but really just allowing that color to express my energy changed how people responded to me at every level. Um, and so I think for female leaders in particular, finding that which allows your inner energy to shine is going to give you the power and reinforce the armor that you've already put on. Yes. To all of this, I'm buzzing all over because, Veronica, I have to tell you, I went to a retreat a few weeks ago and the theme of the retreat was divine feminine power. So you are speaking my language and I want to synthesize, but then ask a question here for clarification for our listeners who aren't as familiar in this male, female energy space, which isn't about gender, by the way, just also making that very clear. Our strength is the thing that needs to be redefined where our strength truly comes from our humanity. And when we attach all of these other extraneous things to it, like pushing through and progress and productivity and checklists and hustle and busyness, we miss the point of our humanity. And because while on the surface, the optics of that might look like strength, what's actually happening underneath the surface there is killing you, quite literally. Yes, physically. It's physically. So, And there's no way to keep that as a sustainable model for what you want to do in this world. It's just not working. So creating space to redefine strength and your power as to being authentically you, you are no longer fitting that square peg into that round hole. We've all been where you were. I mean, we'll use that fuchsia color as a metaphor here. We've all wanted to wear fuchsia in some way, but felt that it wasn't appropriate for whatever space we were entering in. And particularly as a woman moving into a male-dominated field of leadership, it is almost as if we want to shapeshift into whatever the energy is in that space. 
But truly, when you do that, you pretzel yourself so much that you're not able to show up as who you really are. It's only when you're comfortable with who you are so you can show up authentically is when you actually shine. So I'm so glad you said all of those things. And so for the the people who are listening who aren't quite familiar with this idea of masculine feminine energy, can you kind of lay it out so it's really easy to understand? Yeah, the long and short of it is, again, there's a lot of different variations. But if you think about Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey, his idea is that the masculine energy really is the aggressor. It's the person, the seeker, the seeker who is going out, who is going to power through and who's going to find a solution, sometimes with the help of others. But that energy is designed to provide and it's designed to protect. So then his other thoughts around it are the feminine energy, which Maureen Murdoch really touches on, which is women have that energy too. It just looks a little bit different. So when we protect and when we persevere and when we go through our journey, our energy is not always as aggressive. It's oftentimes embedded with compassion and empathy because she asserts that nature designed us that way for the ability to rear children. And how do we use that energy to still accomplish the same thing? And I think her assertion that women in the feminine energy is still able to do that is very powerful because I think when we consider Joseph Campbell's original concept of it's either or, Maureen Murdoch's concept is it's and. And I think she has a whole philosophy around, you know, a father's daughter and how a daughter who idolizes her father has a tendency oftentimes, and she's a psychiatrist on top of it, so a lot of her work is around that, is a daughter's desire to be successful and accomplished. I don't want to be the PTA mom. I don't want to be the stay-at-home mom. I don't want to be the carpool mom. I want to be the, the lawyer or the doctor or the architect or the CFO. And so her belief is we are still embracing our feminine energy when we say those things. We've just made it have some sort of outer shell to appease our father or to get our father's praise. And so we map on that male energy on top of our female energy. And so it's a really interesting conversation. If you have a chance to read either book, I suggest you read them both because when you can read them both, you can get a better sense of that. But in essence, that's the positions that they put forth. Yeah, it's so interesting. And also to be clear, you know, women have both, but men have both too. Absolutely. And it's in this construct and context of our society, the air that we breathe, that we kind of take on these roles and identities based on these kinds of things. But what's really cool about knowing that is that it's malleable. It's fluid. We can make choices about where we want to come from, that it's not always going to be one place or the other. It's like you said, it's and. And so if we can just stay here for another minute, because I think this is just so interesting, in a industry that is education that is predominantly built on female workforce as teachers and predominantly male workforce as leaders, changing structure in that paradigm seems to be difficult because that's the obstacle, right? We're in a masculine construct where it's predominantly made up of women in the workforce and the people who are making the decisions are mostly men. And so how then and can we tie in the work that you do regarding mindset, start to shift some of those traditional structures where we can actually create new models of what these education systems can look like? Yeah, that's a really great question. And that's a conversation I just had with a female superintendent who was just appointed. 
And part of the coaching with her was allowing her to embrace that feminine energy and celebrate her new role as the CEO. She'd been a deputy superintendent, had been a principal, campus principal, had been a team leader, had really risen through the ranks. And she, every time she got more matriculated up into a, a different role, she feels like she lost a piece of that feminine energy. She would no longer was that elementary school teacher who loved having kids come and hug her and, and, you know, be on her. And as a superintendent, what does that look like now? So we really did some great work around mindset in particular and embracing what got her into education, reconnecting with her why, reconnecting to that first year teacher right out of college who got to set up the classroom for the first time with all those colors and with all those borders and you know, all those tacks and staples that you have to use to get your room together, reconnecting to that sense of, I belong here, this is my calling, and then mapping that emotion onto the superintendency, right? Because it's still your first day on the job. It's still the first opportunity you get to put your classroom together. It just happens to be on a much bigger scale. And you still have team leads, you still have a cabinet, you still have a board that you're accountable to. Embracing that mindset of this is fresh, new, and I am honored to get an opportunity to lead this educational institution, just like you were honored when you got to lead that maybe kindergarten class for the first time. And so reconnecting to the why is the first step. And then embracing what you've learned all through your career and finding ways to share that and to inspire other leaders to be innovative, to be creative. Some of our most exciting experiences in our careers were when we were able to teach something to someone, bring together a lesson plan that really exploded and created a lot of conversation and collaboration and a lot of aha moments. Well, guess what you're doing as a superintendent? You're also creating that for other leaders and for parents and for community members and for lawmakers. It just looks a little bit different. We just have to get back to basics. And some of that get back to basics is reconnecting with your why. And that's really what all mindset work is about. It's just reconnecting to your why. And, you know, I think that also helps with alleviating feelings of imposter syndrome. Absolutely. And there's a joke that one of my colleagues and I used to have, um, both C-suite executives in, in a school district, and we're in the middle of attendance boundaries. We're in the middle of asking the community to pass a bond. We're in the middle of all these really high stake things that were happening, transitioning to online learning. And we looked at each other and we said, are we seriously in charge? I mean, does no one really have the answers? How are we creating this on the fly? Are we smart enough? Are we qualified enough? And all of a sudden it became this two people just digging themselves into this hole of imposter syndrome until one of us had enough wherewithal to say, of course we do. We know what we're doing. Nobody else knows what they're doing. No one else has lived through a global pandemic and had to talk about attendance boundaries. And had... so when we really take a moment and pause, we can step back and say, yes, I have the skills. I have the passion. I have what it takes. And if I don't, I'm going to find it. And I think for some leaders, it's so easy to get caught up in that and forget to take a moment to pause and remember those things. Sure. Cause you're so in it, which is why it's important to work with a coach. That's right. Everybody needs a coach. I have two. It's fantastic. You need them. You need them. You absolutely do. Because when you're in it, you actually can't see the possibilities because you're focusing on the problem and the situation at hand. And having that other person on the other side is going to be an opportunity for you to actually have that 
bigger paradigm and that bigger perspective. So yeah, so important. So I have to ask too, this is a question I ask everybody is what is your dream for the future of education? My dream is that lawmakers will fully fund public education so that every student everywhere has every resource they need to be successful. Amen. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I have a lot of emotions and I can tell you all the secondary reasons why, but at the end of the day, it comes down to money. It comes down to money and our students deserve more all across the country. They deserve the higher paid teachers. They deserve more resources. And my dream is that we as a country would value public education like our lives depended on it. And if we did, we would fund it the way we fund other projects. Sure would. We sure would. Thank you for sharing that dream. It's beautiful. And I really do believe that the more that we share our dreams out loud, the closer we are to actually realizing them. So thank you for that. Yes. Yes. And so how can folks get in touch with you and learn more about your work? Absolutely. My website is pretty simple. It's Veronica V, as in Victoria. People ask me all the time what my middle name is. It's Victoria. So it's Veronica V Soper dot com. And uh, there's lots of links. You can get a hold of me there. I'm also on social media at all the places at Veronica B. Sofer. And I look forward to connecting with folks. I enjoy supporting school districts and leaders. And I love customer service and mindset work. So if that's something your school district or your school needs, please reach out. Thank you for that. All of those links are going to be in the show notes. It'll be super easy for people to get in touch with you. And you are just a wealth of knowledge. And it seems like we've connected a lot in the last two weeks, which has been really cool. And every time I just I love talking with you, I feel very inspired and that leaves me with lots of things to think about. So please reach out to Veronica. She's a, a wonderful resource. So thank you so much for being with me today and talking on Take Notes. I really appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thanks so much. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, make sure to share it with a friend and subscribe so you never miss an episode of Take Notes. And we'll see you next time. Incredible, right? Together, we can revolutionize the face of education. It's all possible. And it's all here for you right now. Let's keep the conversation going at Empowered Educator Faculty Room on Facebook.